So, we have been in a series called The Gospel of All, because for those of you who are part of our community or for those who are visiting, you'll see that we have a vision statement on the wall here that talks about being a community led by the Spirit where all are invited, all are loved, all are shaped, and all are sent to live like Jesus. And we've been asking, well, what does all mean? Looking at scriptures in the New Testament that give us some insight into that. So today is our fifth and final, for now at least, message. And we're gonna look at what Martin Luther described as the heart of the gospel, Romans 3. We're gonna read 10 verses or 11 verses, verses 21 to 31. I already indicated it earlier at the beginning of the baptism. We will get into a little bit more depth, but I do recognize the time, so I will try to talk fast. Let us read Romans 3, 21 to 31. This is the word of the Lord. But Paul is in the middle of his argument. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. That last verse, I'm not going to talk about very much, but just to give you some clue that when Paul says we're not justified by the law, that is true, but he goes on to talk about how the law does factor into the Christian life. And I encourage you or commend the whole book of Romans to your reading because it is rich and dense, but very rich. And you may enjoy reading it in a translation that's even more contemporary than the New International Translation. So Romans is a long explanation of the gospel, and we are just looking at one little glimpse today. It's written by Paul to the churches, home churches, house churches in Rome. These churches, as you may have gathered from this passage, are made up of Jews and 
Gentiles or anyone who's not Jewish. And it appears that there are conflicts, as there have been throughout the church in the first century between Jews and Gentiles. Jews, you know, are the people that God chose through Abraham in the Old Testament, those who were given the law at Mount Sinai, those whom God has chosen to work out his plan of salvation. Gentiles, on the other hand, are those who have not received the law. They are those who have come to know about God and about Jesus through other means. The Jews are circumcised as the law required. Gentiles generally have not been circumcised and are unfamiliar with the law. So it seems as if in the Roman churches, Jews are calling out Gentiles for not following the law. Paul is saying, stop judging, stop calling out these people for not following the law because you yourselves are not following the law either. You are just as guilty as they are. Everyone, Paul says, has failed to live up to God's beautiful plan for his beautiful creation. So as he says in Romans 3.23, the problem is that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. God created human beings to live in right relationship with him, with themselves, with the unity and the diversity of human beings and with the entire creation. And yet that continues to not be fulfilled by Jews and by Gentiles alike. This is the problem, Paul says. God is wholly righteous and just and loving, but people are not no matter how hard they try to fulfill the law. Ultimately, he says, the real problem is that people have chosen not to trust God. They have chosen not to surrender to him in relationship. They have chosen other things to put their trust into. I said earlier in the service, and I hope that I don't need to convince you too hard that like the Roman church, we also continue to struggle with sin. We continue to fall short of the glory of God. We fail to live up to the image bearing relationship with God, with ourselves, with humanity and with creation that God intended. Some of us have grown up in a church like this, or maybe this very church community, knowing the law, being conformed by the Holy Spirit to the law, the design that God has. Some of us have not. Among us, we may even have different ideas of what that law entails, what that means for our lives. The foundational reality is that no matter any of those differences, we all fail to live up to God's intent. There is no one righteous, not even one. With Paul, we can give thanks, give thanks on this Thanksgiving day, that that is not the end of the story. It's here in Romans 3 where Paul makes this big shift from talking about sinfulness, unrighteousness for all, to the grace of God, 
And so we read in Romans 3.24 that all are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We could spend a lot of time parsing out every line that Paul says in these very dense theological phrases. But let me just say these things. God ultimately sends someone who can keep the law, Jesus, who fully bears God's image. He is God, so he is in perfect relationship with God, the Godhead. He is, from what we can tell, in perfect relationship with himself. He knows who he is. He loves perfectly. He gives sacrificially. He is in perfect communion with others. And he also models a healthy, faithful way to live with the rest of creation. Jesus is the faithful Israelite. He is the Jew who offers God the faithful obedience, which Israel should have offered, but didn't. So as Paul says, Jesus becomes God's righteousness. He is able to show holiness and justice, faithfulness perfectly. But he is also our righteousness. He takes the place of humanity to fulfill what God required so that people, we too, can become righteous before God. That is that big word, justification. Jesus takes the place so that we can be in right relationship with God. We can begin to bear God's image well. Jesus redeems humanity. What is the response called for? In these verses we say, we see, or I, I guess I should say, in Romans we see three responses. This passage focuses on faith. God says, Paul says that God offers that redemption, that atonement, that justification when we have faith. Basically, when we trust that God has done what he said he's done, that he has sent Jesus to do the work for us. It doesn't mean trust in a list of doctrines, trust even enough to move a mountain. It means an acceptance that God actually does want to be in relationship with us and has sent Jesus to make that possible. The second thing that Paul says here is no boasting. He gets at that in the last paragraph that we read today. Is it possible to boast if you're a Jew? No. If you're, are you off the hook if you're a Gentile? No. All are welcome in God's family through faith. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. No boasting is allowed. We are all equal before God. And then Paul goes on in this long letter to say more than just no boasting. He has written this letter at least partially to address the factions between Jew and Gentile. And so finally in chapter 15, he says straight up, accept one another then 
just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise or glory to God. Paul says, love each other. Recognize Christ in one another. Come together, all for one, one for all, to bring glory to God. Take a look at those three statements. We are called to faith or trust in Jesus. We're called not to boast. We are called to accept one another. And so I ask you, what does this mean for our vision statement of all being invited, all being loved, all being shaped, all being sent to live like Jesus? Let me say two things. The first is that all means all. Even though it will be messy and challenging and maybe even impossible in this life, all means all. And second, our focus needs to be Jesus the story of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the grace and the gift of Jesus. So thinking about all, all races, cultures, ethnicities, all abilities, all marital statuses, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all genders, all sexual orientations, all political perspectives, all sins, all are invited, loved, shaped, and sent by Jesus, for Jesus, in Jesus, and Faith Church can be no less. And then secondly, Jesus. He is the reason we are here or that you are joining us in worshiping today. Jesus is the source of our hope. Jesus has redeemed us so that we can fully experience God's love. We can experience the relationship with God. And Jesus is our model for self-giving love. Last week, we observed National Truth and Reconciliation Day in Canada. This week, an unnamed second-generation survivor of residential schools wrote a blog on our denomination's Do Justice blog site. This person wondered whether that day we commemorated a week and a half ago would mean anything. The writer ends with this reflection about Jesus. For decades, the nation was largely unaware of the goings-on in these boarding schools. First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people bore the brunt of intergenerational trauma that was born out of the emotional, spiritual, physical, and mental abuse suffered by the children that attended these havens for death and disaster. Trauma and abuse was passed on to our children and to our children's children. 
We acknowledged that last week. But this writer ends, I ask myself, where is Christ in all of this? I silently wonder how my aunties managed to cling to Jesus after all the abuse they had suffered in his name. The answer lays in the fact that they came to know the real Jesus, the one that loves children, does not hinder, abuse, or neglect them. He reminds me, I will never leave you or forsake you when I am weary and want to turn away. Jesus, were you there when our people starved? Were you there when laws were made to beat my people down? Were you there when the bodies of children were buried and hidden away? In these moments, the writer says, Jesus reminds me that the Hebrews also lived in captivity, slavery, and murderous conditions for 500 years. He has heard our cries. He will set our people free. This writer who has every reason to abandon the church stays because of Jesus, because of who Jesus really is. Thank you, Jesus. May we be a place where Jesus is front and center. I have one more thing to say. Some of you are noticing that I mentioned sexual orientation in my list of alls. I haven't said much, if anything, about the LGBTQ community in this series. But I know that for many of you, this is the most pressing question. I personally have been doing a lot of reading and listening on this topic, and I know that's true for our leaders too. Some of you have said, all are invited with anxiety. And some of you have said, all are invited with hope. In the Christian Reformed Church, the denomination that we're a part of, people, leaders have been grappling with the biblical perspective on human sexuality for the last number of years. Last November, just under a year ago, a report was published that presents one position on the Bible's view of pornography, polyamory, singleness, premarital sex, homosexuality, gender identity. It's created a lot of conversations, often kind of below the surface, not on the platform. I've heard within the CRC many voices affirming that report, but I've also heard many voices asking whether there are other ways to view human sexuality that are also in accord with God's word, particularly about transgender experience and committed monogamous lifelong same-sex behavior. This week, I opened the most recent Christianity Today, and I happened upon an article by Greg Johnson. He's a gay pastor in the Presbyterian Church in the US. He wrote a book called Still Time to Care, what we can learn from the church's failed attempt to cure homosexuality. 
In his article, he shares his own experience with conversion therapy, which is an attempt that generally is not accepted anymore. The attempt to make him not sexually attracted to other men. He admits it did not work. And then he goes on in his article to describe how older Christian leaders, such as C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham, Francis Schaeffer, and John Stott, offered more compassion to members of the LGBTQ community than most other Christian leaders. Johnson remains committed to the traditional historical biblical perspective on gay sex. He believes it's inconsistent with God's design for human beings. But listen to what he observes. When I look at the lives and ministries of those four Christian leaders, what stands out most clearly is that they bring a vision of Jesus. Jesus. You might not exactly agree with how Johnson articulates this because he's rooted in a traditional ethic. But see if this is a vision of Jesus that we might be able to pursue and emphasize at Faith Church. They bring a, G a vision of Jesus in his saving power. Jesus, who washes us and makes us clean. Jesus, who brings us into God's family. Jesus, who covers shame and forgives sin. Jesus, who calls us by name. Jesus, who sees us all the way down and still wants to be in relationship with us. Jesus, who suffers with and for us. Jesus, who challenges us to live for his kingdom. Jesus, who gives us new life with all its joy. Jesus, who is that treasure in a field for which we sold everything. Jesus, who is that treasure that can never be taken from us. This is Jesus, whose in-breaking kingdom sweeps us up into something he is doing in the cosmos, something larger than ourselves. In Christ, we find ourselves in a larger narrative. This is not Jesus as a means to an end of heterosexual functioning and comfortable family life. This is God himself as the end for which we were made. With this real God, the locus of hope is found not in this life with heterosexuality, but in the coming age when we shall stand before our Savior. And here I find what Greg Johnson, gay Christian, says very poignant. Without that relationship with the Savior, there is no point in speaking of a biblical sexual ethic, either to straight or gay people. No gay people are going to embrace such an ethic unless they fall in love with Jesus, a heart smitten by grace. And I hope you hear yourself in this, every single one of you. Me too. A heart smitten by grace is not only willing, but also eager to follow the one who died for us. As I said, there are Christians within our denomination, within this congregation, who would differ with Johnson in what a Christ-centered sexual ethic might entail. But I pray that we don't disagree that the life of a Christian begins with Jesus. 
So let the Holy Spirit, I pray, make us a Jesus-centered space where all people, including our gay and trans fellow human beings, feel the invitation of Christ to rest in his grace, who experience the love and glory of God in our midst, who contribute to that love and glory, who grapple together with what God is saying and how the Spirit desires to lead and shape us, who work together in the name of Jesus for the restoration of creation, with Jesus proclaiming good news to the poor, proclaiming freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, setting the oppressed free, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. May we all be united in worshiping one God, one church, united in God's mission for the whole world. To God be the glory. Let's pray. God of glory, holiness, and justice, and righteousness, and love, Thank you that we don't need to fulfill the law in order to achieve relationship with you. Give us trust that Jesus has done it all. Fill our eyes with Jesus and move us so by your grace that we become like Jesus to everyone we meet. We pray that yours will be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you please rise? Before we sing the doxology, I offer you these words of blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.